Welcome to The Operative Word, a podcast brought to you by the Journal of the American College of Surgeons. I'm Dr. Jamie Coleman, and throughout this series, Dr. Dante Ye and I will speak with recently published authors about the motivation behind their latest research and the clinical implications it has for the practicing surgeon. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily that of the American College of Surgeons. Welcome to The Operative Word, a podcast from the Journal of the American College of Surgeons. I'm Dr. Jamie Coleman, one of your hosts for the series. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Elzeri DeJager and Dr. L.D. Britt, and we will be taking an in-depth look into their current article, Disparity-Sensitive Measures in Surgical Care, a Delphi Panel Consensus. Dr. DeJager is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Vermont, as well as a research collaborator with the Center for Surgery and Public Health, Department of Surgery, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard Medical School, and Harvard School of Public Health. Now, Dr. Britt almost needs no introduction as a past president of the American College of Surgeons, but he is the Henry Ford Professor and Edward J. Brickhouse Chairman, Department of Surgery, Eastern Virginia Medical School. Doctors DeJager and Britt, thank you so much and welcome to The Operative Word. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Dr. Coleman. Before we begin, do either of you have any conflicts of interest that you would like to disclose? I have no conflicts of interest. I don't have any conflicts. Wonderful. Well, first, congratulations to both of you on this paper. And now typically I will say for our listeners, we do typically start with asking for a brief summary, but particularly for this paper, I actually want to take a step back because I think it's important that we start with the why behind it. Dr. Britt, could you please share with us a little bit about the impetus behind the paper, as well as the American College of Surgeons Metrics for Equitable Access and Care in Surgery Group, also known as the ACS Measure Group? I'm glad you mentioned ACS because the organization for this research and then the publications really was the American College of Surgeons. When I was president of the American College of Surgeons, I said the greatest challenge facing this country it's pretty much healthcare disparities. Uh, if you look at, we have 50 million cases, inpatient cases, surgical cases. We have 53 outpatient surgical cases and the quality of surgical care is not equitable. Now, with that being said, one of the greatest um, drivers or contributors to poor outcome are these disparities. Yeah. So in all fairness, we decided to uh, propose to, to look at disparity-specific metrics. So you can't, you can't do anything you don't know the metrics. So I said that we need to look at the specific disparity-sensitive metrics, and we wanted to look at it across all five areas of surgical care. That included, obviously, access to care. It included preoperative care perioperative care, operative, which includes operative management, postoperative care, and post-discharge care. So that was the spectrum. And we put together a, a, a Delphi methodology. I'm going to have Dr. Jago talk about that. But we had three basic aims, three aims. The first aim was to develop a conceptual framework and identify preliminary measures that could be disparity sensitive. Our second aim for our grant and then obviously subsequent publication, was to evaluate preliminary metrics for disparity-sensitive and proposed candidate disparity-centric sensitive metrics. 
And then the third aim was to determine the feasibility of candidate metrics, achieve a consensus by the Delphi, Delphi panel, and obviously put together the, the, the metrics over the five phases of surgical care. So that was our backdrop. And again, it was driven by the fact that we have people are dying because of unequitable care. Yeah. And in the surgical field, and obviously the world's largest organization of surgeons is the American College of Surgeons. So with this being the organization, and I'm the PI, but we had some great co-investigators and Dr. DeJager was the best. So with that, I'm gonna to turn it over to her. Thank you so much, Dr. Britt. You know, that really helps. And those numbers are staggering. It should make everybody pause when you start thinking about you know, 50 million cases and the percentage that get impacted. And the fact that, like you said, there are people that don't go home after their surgery simply because of healthcare disparities. And, and we spend $4.5 trillion in healthcare expenditures. And we're not the best healthcare system in the country. In fact, we, we, we're in the bottom tier, middle tier, not at the top tier. And so with that being said, I want to, Dr. DeJager, I'll let you comment. Yes, Dr. DeJager, could you actually, um, tagging on to that, would you mind just actually summarizing those methods with the Delphi consensus, as well as the main findings of the paper? I can. Um, and so, we basically started the study and our first aim was to identify a big, broad list of possible quality measures that could be disparity sensitive. And so we actually identified 841 potential disparity sensitive measures. And we identified these by an environmental scan and a subspecialty society survey. And then we actually looked at our list and thought, access to surgical care, which is such an important part to when we we're talking about providing equitable care was not really represented in the list. And so we did a systematic literature review of disparities in surgical access, which was published in JAXA and extrapolated metrics from that literature review. The second part of the process was then funneling down this broad list of measures into a smaller list of candidate disparity sensitive measures. And we did that through uh, the Delphi consensus uh, methodology and a new novel disparity sensitive scoring process which uses the existing literature. And in the end, we found a list of 125 candidate disparity sensitive measures. And these measures were rated as both valid and important by our expert advisory uh, committee. And they were also supported by the existing literature. And I really love that, you know, and I think that that really was brilliant because what you did is you focused on identifying measures from existing measures. So rather than trying to develop from scratch, you know, solely for the purpose of detecting disparities in healthcare, this really fast tracks the progress in this space. Since these are things that are already being measured, you know, you can access some of that data already. And so, like you said, through this process, you found 125 potential disparity sensitive measures and about 13 of those were related to surgical access. Yeah. Now I'd love to pick both of your brains on this, but 
What do you think are the next steps in order to really drill down into this very large, very real problem that a very significant portion and percentage of our population faces, which is just even getting into or in front of a surgeon? How do we, how, what, what do we do next? I think We're, the first thing, and, and Dr. Jagger can chime in, is we need to validate our findings. And then we need to design specific interventions to mitigate those disparity metrics. And then we need to, finally, we need to partner with organizations like the Joint Commission, like the Residency Review Committee, and so they can be the, 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 the group that will say, okay, if you have these metrics and you're not uh, obviously intervening, then we're not going to credit you. We, we're not going to approve your program. So we need to have somebody who, who carries the stick. We, we will have the evidence. So I think we next need to validate it. We need to find specific interventions and obviously partner with those organizations that can help us obviously implement and make a difference. So, so Dr. DeJager, do you have any comments? No, I think that was perfect. I'll just reiterate that the first step is to validate these measures, which means actually testing them using real world, ev world evidence um, to make sure that they actually are um, doing what they are supposed to, capturing uh, surgical disparities. And then the second step would be that the metrics need to be used to guide quality improvement efforts and facilitate the development of targeted interventions. And then in parallel to that, and um, to your point, Dr. Coleman, is that we need to develop measures to address other known contributors to disparities in surgical care. So things like implicit bias, representation in healthcare, um, hospital level segregation and surgical access. Um, so we saw, during this process that there are certain surgical specialties and certain facets of surgical care that are underrepresented in our suite of metrics because there are not enough existing quality metrics in those areas. Um, so for example, uh, a lot of the metrics in our list are cardiothoracic surgery based. Um, that doesn't mean that there are more disparities in cardiothoracic surgery per se. It's just that in our set of metrics, cardiothoracic surgery was overrepresented because there are such well-known quality metrics in that field. Um, so fields like urology, we didn't actually include any measures in our final list uh, specifically for urology and plastic surgery. Um, and so there are facets of surgical care where quality metrics need to be um, developed uh, and where disparity sensitive metrics can be developed. Uh, when we looked at our list of metrics, we wanted them to have two bars of validity. So they first had to be a valid uh, metric of quality and then had to be a valid metric of disparity sensitivity. But in our discussion, we discussed that a valid metric of disparity sensitivity does not necessarily need to be a valid quality metric. Um, and so, there is a need to develop more disparity sensitive metrics in broader areas. Which makes sense. Because yeah. I think it goes back again to Dr. Britt's point. You know, if we're not measuring it, how can we, you know, start to really change it? Yeah. And so I guess my next question for you both is then 
what are you all's, what are the next steps in your project? So you mentioned validation. Do you have a timeline for this? Do you have goals in terms of, okay, we want to get this done by this point? You know, when, when can we expect to start seeing some valid or validation data coming from your group? So we have done some work looking at some of these metrics in real world evidence. Um, and that's kind of at the pre-publication stage where we're finalizing uh, the papers before you uh, send them in for submission. And let me give the, the college a lot of credit because the, you know, the American College of Surgeons, again, is the world's largest organization for, for surgeons. In my presidential address, which I think started this, I charged the college. I said, look, we will not, you can't have quality, because that's a big theme of the college, quality and patient care, there is no quality without access. And based on that, we put together a committee. I felt that the college needed to do more. And but you had to be able to measure things. I said, well, what do we have specific metrics to measure? And then I said, I felt we needed to have disparity sensitive metrics. We have that. We're going to validate that. We're going to put together a program, a strategy to have interventions, and then we're going to partner with organizations to help us implement it. And then we'll make a difference. Then we'll move the curve. And so how do you think then are going to be next steps for places like urology, for instance, you know, some of these other subspecialties where we just don't have the existing metrics? Oh, oh no, no, no. Remember the college is the broad umbrella for all those. Oh, we correct. Have, have so through the college, so that's why the college is the perfect organization for this. And once we see that the interventions are working, no one can then resist because the bottom line is that we have better patient outcomes. Yep. Who, who, can, who can fight against that? That's where we're going. So at the end of the day, as, as the uh, Louis Brandeis, the first Jewish Supreme Court justice said, the, the greatest disinfectant is sunshine. And we're going to put some sunshine on this. And definitely, I think it's needed. You know, I think that what do you both say? And I'll I'll put it out there, right? Let's just elephant in the room. There are some surgeons who don't believe that this exists. That in other words, that there is systemic racism, for example, in medicine or in surgery. And what do you say to them? in terms of trying to get their minds to open to this, that this is real, that there's data. And like you said, Dr. Britt, I love that expression of putting some sunshine in that space. Is there anything else that you think we need to be doing before we get those interventions? I feel that once we show them the evidence and, and give it a, a platform, which we've given the colleges, given this a platform, they will listen. I, I, I have faith in my colleagues. Because at the end of the day, we, we might have different political views. At the end of the day, we want what's best for the patient. The right. beneficiary of all we do, all the training and all of that, is better patient care. Absolutely. That's what unifies us, is wanting our patients to have the best life that they can and using surgery in order to give them that life. Yeah. We may disagree on everything else. Right. We're all, we're all on the same page when it comes to What's best for the patient? And if we're not on the same page, they need to get into another discipline. Right. They sound up for the wrong profession. They, they read the wrong Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, I think as healthcare professionals, we are trained to provide evidence-based care. And so I think once there is a big body of evidence that 
um, shines the light on healthcare disparities. And I think that's rapidly building. People will take note. Yeah. And it's, it's not an opinion. It's science. Yep. And so what do you all think in the meantime, while we're, your group is working hard at validating and building these measures to intervene on and building these interventions, what else, how else can we help? How else can we continue to progress and work towards giving the best care to every single patient in the meantime? We can start uh, talking to our stakeholders, uh, obviously talking to our legislators, talking to the Joint Commission, because we need all our stakeholders on board when we said this is what we need to do to mitigate healthcare disparities in surgery. So we need to obviously have a round table with our stakeholders. So everybody's on the same page. That's what I will be doing and, and some of my colleagues will be doing. And what about at the local hospital level? Let's say, again, you're one of the listeners to this podcast and you're excited about this work and you're passionate about this work. How can they help? How can they participate? How can they bring some of this to their own practice or their own group? Well, they can obviously accept that the community is beyond just the confines of the hospital. So at the end of the day, all these centers of excellence, they they don't have access for everybody. So they need to broaden their access of all the things of these special hospitals, center of excellence for urology, center of excellence for cancer and all of that. They need to open the doors and say, are we getting people in? Is there a, a, a group, a vulnerable group that we're not reaching with our center of excellence? That's what we need to do. Dr. Jager, any thoughts to add to that? No, I think the, the focus needs to shift from providing equal care to patients to providing equitable care. And so some patients may need more um, and you may need to go beyond what is the traditional scope of your role to provide that. And you know what the, you know what the silver lining in all this is? We don't need more money. We have enough money in the system. We just need to distribute our care and our and our and our um, our support more equitably. And I think that was such a wonderful distinction, distinction, Dr. Jager, where it's to provide equitable care. Sometimes you do have to do more. You have to think outside a traditional box of what a patient needs to get to your clinic, to get home after clinic, to get to the hospital, to get home from the hospital, et cetera. And really thinking beyond that, that some patients need different. It might be more in some areas, less than others, but they need something different to get the same outcome. And I think that's where the equal and equitable sometimes gets a little uh, uh, commingled, you know, where people think, oh, well, I'm doing A for everybody, but not everybody needs A. Some people need A, some people need B, some people need C, et cetera. So I love that you made that distinction. And we also cannot forget the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room are the social determinants. People die prematurely, not because of healthcare, maybe 20% of the people who die prematurely, but the other 80% are social determinants. So we need to obviously accent that and find a way, again, we don't have the resources for all of that, but, but obviously the, the um, um, better care and all of those sort of things, social determinants, but we cannot uh, ignore it because that's part of the equation. Absolutely. What happens outside the hospital doesn't stay outside the hospital. And in fact, what happens outside the hospital can and does often lead to someone getting into the hospital. Right. 
And so creating that bridge from inside the hospital, inside our operating room to outside of it. I agree with you, Dr. Britt. I think that's going to be huge in making the kind of impact that, like you said, we all want to make. We all want to give our patients the best outcome, best health, the best quality of life that they can have. And that's going to create those relationships. And again, I'll end with this, but it's embarrassing. We're the world's largest and the world's richest, wealthiest na uh, nation, even more so than the Roman Empire, even more so than the British Empire. And we don't have a best practice in healthcare. And I, I just, I want to leave it there, actually. I want everyone to pause and think on that and really reflect. And thank you both, Dr. DeJager and Dr. Britt, for taking the time to discuss your recent article, as well as putting in all the hours and hours and hours of work it took to get us started on this path that so many of our patients are relying on us to take. I'd just like to thank all of the co-authors that worked with us in uh, producing this manuscript and also our 13 expert advisory panelists who contributed immensely to this work. Thank you to our listeners as well. And if you have any feedback for us here at The Operative Word, please drop us a line at postmaster at facs.org. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Journal of the American College of Surgeons Operative Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, spread the word on social media by using the hashtag JACS Operative Word. Subscribe to The Operative Word wherever podcasts are available or listen on the American College of Surgeons website at facs.org slash podcast.